You are listening to the Smart Betting Club podcast with me, your host, Peter Lynn. For the very latest on what it takes to make your betting profitable, including the experts you should follow, please visit the SBC website at smartbettingclub.com. In this latest episode, I was joined by David Lovell, one of the brothers behind the Welsh-based bookmaker Dragon Bet, on the reality of running both an online and on-course bookmaking operation. With a long-established on-course presence, as begun by their father, John Lovell, David and his brother James recently launched their own website, Dragon Bet, to take bets online. Dragon Bet is one of a growing number of smaller independent firms branching out into online offerings, and David talks frankly about all aspects of this, from using a white-label solution to the intense work involved to maintain it all, and how it's an all-encompassing job. We also get into how they approach sharp money and laying bets from smart punters, and their desire to be an approachable firm that does things differently, both online and on course. With a strong presence in Wales and the promise of top of the market odds on Welsh sport, they're also helping to appeal to punters both based in Wales and with an interest in betting on teams and events based in the country. All told, it's a fascinating insight into the reality of running a bookmakers and the challenges it poses operators in 2023. My thanks go to David Lovell for sharing his story in this podcast episode. So today I am delighted to be joined by David Lovell, one of the owners of Dragon Bet, an independent bookmaker based in Wales with both an online and on-course bookmaker presence. Now, David, you are the first bookmaker willing to come on and speak to me. So it's an interview I'm really looking forward to. Let's start off with some introductions. Tell me a little bit about yourself and explain what it is you do at Dragon Bet. Hi, Pete. I really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, so I'm David Lovell. I'm one half of Dragon Bet, I would say. So fortunately, my brother James, who would, would have wished for us to join us today, couldn't make it. So I'm going to give it a go myself. But yeah, one half of Dragon Bet. Recently launched online firm, been involved in betting and bookmaking ever since I was young enough to walk, really. My father was a fairly prominent racecourse bookmaker. So yeah, been involved in betting and gambling all my life. Yeah, and you recently launched the online presence for Dragon Bet. It's part of a rebranding. That's because your father, John, people were interested in betting, involved in betting over the years, will be aware of him. He ran John Lovell Racing, a very well-known on-course bookmaker. Was it always nailed on that both you and your brother would work in some way in the betting world, bookmaking especially? Yeah, I would say so. It was never a kind of conscious choice. Um, both went through standard schooling. The fact that I used to leave school on a Monday afternoon a couple of hours early to go and work as outside man at Windsor Races probably <laughs> pointed to the fact that I was always going to be involved in the industry and changed to university and did gambling studies. So yeah, I'd say um, without kind of making it a conscious choice, it was always a natural path. And did you do any university studies or any, or were you just actually working on course or what was your pathway? So working from dad from a very young age, point to points, grounds, flapping, race courses, helping out in the local betting shops and all the rest of it, whilst doing secondary school and A-levels. Made a decision not to go to university because in running, just exploded at that time to dive headfirst into that and kind of didn't take up the university option. My brother was slightly older, so he was only kind of in university as all that was kicking off. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the sibling rivalry, working with your brother. You say James was going to join us today, but he couldn't make it. But what's it like working with your brother? Is there any... Sibling rivalry, and how do you divvy up who does what? No, to be honest, we've never had a crossword. James is particularly agreeable, so that's really nice. And we got really contrasting skill sets, I would say. So James is much more at home talking to people and front of house, where I'm a little bit more happy at a computer screen working away. So yeah, nice contrasting skill sets, and they never had a crossword. So all good. All good, great. How many people work at Dragon Bear at the moment, beyond you, just you and your brother? Quite a difficult question to answer. Essentially two, James and I, Dragon Bear Online, I don't know if you want to go into the kind of white label operation, which 
has a kind of group of operators, a group of people behind it, but don't specifically work for us. They work for the white label fans unite. But just two for Dragon Bet Online, obviously we have people who help us out the race course. Yeah. So yeah, we'll talk definitely talk about the white label because that's going to be really interesting to understand how that works. And you mentioned there in running, because I believe your father was quite the innovator, wasn't he? I think he brought in the digital boards. If you've listened to, or if you read Simon Knott's book, you'll you'll be able to read about that. And that extended to having the first, is it in running shop? That was a bit of a goldmine at the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah. Described as that by many people. A lot of people had a lot of success. And yeah, my dad did open that kind of first exchange shop and me and James were heavily involved in it. Yeah, a lot of real success stories came from it. Generally hear about the weddings, not the funerals, as always with gambling, but... Yeah. It was good in the early days, probably a little bit too young to grasp the reality of how good it was and what should have been doing. And But yeah, good times. Good times. Great. Before we could talk about Dragon Bet, what impressed me, I was doing some research, is that I think maybe it was primarily you or you were the driving force, but you were punters, big punters, and you had quite a successful operation with a bit of a team putting on poacher turn gamekeeper nowadays. Tell me a little bit about your years actually punting, going into betting shops or placing bets yourselves. How big was that and what did it look like? Yeah, so just we talked about contrasting skill sets earlier. So James has always been more focused on the bookmaking side of things and stepped directly into my dad's shoes, I would say. And I've always been more of the punter. So that's kind of the idea with the Dragon Bell was to combine those skill sets. But so yeah, my, my punting has largely been in play on exchanges or in running on the horses for a long time, trying to find the fastest feeds and edges with that. But we also dipped our toe into the price grids, not reinventing the wheel or anything, but people who are familiar with the old price-wise grids will know that you can get yesterday's prices today for a short period of time, not so much on the actual price-wise selection, but on those kind of 16 to 21 minute handicaps, if you could bet, saying it was like 14 on the machine, just trading at 12 to 1 with Labbrooks or whatever, it was perceived as bad value by the bookmaker, but you knew you were getting such good value on the place that it would override the bad side of the win. So yeah, we did that quite heavily and had a team of guys running around the country. I think we got up to about 10 at one stage and what was nice about that is, as you well know, getting on is the issue of being a punter. But you could do that to relative scale if you organise yourself properly. So and that was good for a few years until it really tightened up. Yeah, it's taken advantage of stale odds and the each-way value strategy. Obviously, it's changed now, but um, people still do that today in different ways. There's quite a lot of people taking advantage of stale odds or strategies or each-way value. So that ended, obviously, because the price-wise side of it. But I imagine it was pretty helpful, giving you some more further insight into running a bookmakers, perhaps even just knowing the tricks in the book that punters might try on, such as that? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Probably tried a lot of those tricks ourselves. Also, we've always been involved in small betting shops and, and race course bookmaking, so we've definitely been done by playing those tricks. So, yeah, I've seen, seen both sides of it and I've definitely learned bits and bobs from it. Of course, yeah. And let's talk about Dragon Bet then, because you recently launched Dragon Bet, which was a re- rebranding of the existing John Lovell racing bookmaking name. You still bet on course, and we'll talk about it too, but let's focus on the website. What was the idea, first of all, behind launching Dragon Bet as an online bookmaker offering? It came from a motivation rather than an idea initially. COVID was the catalyst, so with no racing for a while for COVID, both James and I were kind of sat in our hands for a while. So both did a lot of thinking, and both of the stages in our lives, I was particularly fed up with the kind of hamster wheel of punting, the lack of tangibility that you weren't kind of doing anything or building anything, just a bench almost effectively playing a computer game with him running it felt like to me and similarly for James you know he loved race course bookmaking but how much future was there in it the cash was slowly dying the race course was getting quieter so there was a motivation there and I suppose the idea came from we wanted to kind of build on a family narrative what we had saying that there genuine passion behind Welsh sport and bookmaking and punting and a really passionate Welshman as well so there was a Scottish bookmaker who came to our attention called McBookie and they're doing what we 
now trying to do in Scotland. And they do it really well. They kind of provide value to the Scottish punter. So we looked at their model. Well, look, albeit Wales is smaller than Scotland, we think we can replicate that with, yeah, possibly build on it in certain areas, albeit they're incredibly widely operators. So yeah, that, that was the initial that was the initial idea, was picking up that model in the place of it in Wales and a kind of regional bookmaker concept when you apply that to bad reputation of the bigger corporates coming off of something different in terms of customer service and really trying to service the punter a bit more in a more friendly and efficient manner. That was the idea, I suppose. That's a good idea, yeah. Especially if you've seen a precedent in Scotland, people may have heard of Bookie or other people will be aware of it. And that folks in Wales is looking at your website. You've got Welsh language. I believe you do extra, you price up lower level Welsh football that other bookmakers might not do. What's been the reaction to that? Is there been a lot of interest from people in Wales or Welsh customers who you are know, keen to join Dragon Bet because of that? Yeah, I mean, Welsh language is really important to us. Like Wales is a particularly passionate country, so really tapping into that Welsh identity is really important to us. But specifically on the lower markets, so we offer the lower league football and rugby. So me and James price those markets of ourselves with a little bit of help. And it'll be a slow burn. McBookie do it really well in Scotland. It gets them a lot of attention. We still need to get the message out there that we're doing it. But it's, it definitely gets some interest, you know, I think. Panthers really appreciate coming in to have a bet on their local team. We know we're going to lose on the markets, right? Like we can never know as much as the punter at that level. There, but we're doing our best. And if we can provide a service to the Welsh punter and hopefully they'll stay with us and bet in other areas, then uh, be good. What about other plans then to make Dragon Bet stand out? Because it is a very crowded bookmaker marketplace. And even though there is a degree of grumbling about some of the big firms and how they operate, it's cutting through to the majority of people and making them aware of you and assuming that you won't be on the odds checker grid anytime soon. What's the plan beyond the Welsh language? Is there anything else that you're trying to do to try and cut through to a, a greater audience? Yeah, there's a, a few different things. So firstly, we really want to focus on the Welsh audience. We'll really build a core customer base in Wales and really service the Welsh punter. Once we kind of got that nailed down, we built that core customer base and we really want to get the message out there that to try and not be exclusive to the Welsh punter and trying to cross the border into England. We want to offer the best prices on Welsh sports. We've already actioned it in sport, actually. So if you try and have a bet on the Welsh Premier League or if you try and bet Cardiff City on the weekend or Gairing Price to win the Dallas, we're pretty confident that we'll be Dragon Bet will be the top price. So we've really reduced the margins to like 2 3% on the football, manually trade the markets to make sure the top price on Gairing Price, etc. So the idea is that if you want to have a bet on a Welsh player or Welsh relevant sport, you know, Six Nations, whatever it is, come to Dragon Bear and you can and you know you're gonna get top price. And we still need to work on getting a message out there and really need to work on translating into horse racing, which is more difficult. But the idea is in the future to if we can offer consistently the best prices around Welsh trainers or SP boost for Welsh winners. I'm sure there's something we can do around racing to make sure that we can say with conviction that if you want to bet on any Welsh relevant sport, don't just have to be a Welshman, then come to Dragon Bet and you get the best prize. There you go. If anyone's listening is either Welsh or interested in football, rugby or any other Welsh sport, then go check out Dragon Bet. You heard it here. Let's also talk about then your website, your online platform, which is a white label. That's a term that does get banded around. Perhaps people might not understand. So good to, for you to explain what a white label is, why you use it and how it all works from your side of things. White labels, yeah, fairly common in the industry, I would say. There's a lot of smaller operators use white labels. The idea behind a white label is you've attached your brand to a team of, it takes a lot to get a betting website, right? I have incredibly complicated websites. You need a full development team, customer service team, trading team, compliance, payments. The idea with white label is that's all centralized in one hub and then lots of different brands can connect to that same team. And we're really lucky in that we're the first operator that's joined with our white label, a kind of platform in development. 
But it basically allows you to focus on as little or as much as you want. So you, you get that full autonomy if you want it. But we have a two-man team. we got to go to bed at night. So we can't be monitoring compliance and trading overnight. So it's a way of outsourcing, in effect, the other requirements of operating online. And that was my next question about the autonomy that you have. So when you're at your desk, you and James are looking at the bets that are coming in, liabilities. Are you able to adjust it as you so wish? Obviously, you seem to be able to with what you're telling about the Welsh markets, but things like markets, odds, liabilities, those kind of things, you can adjust them to suit you and your preferences. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. You can have as much autonomy as you want, whether that be trading compliance slightly different because you sell someone else's license so compliance you don't have the autonomy but in terms of trading the markets stuff you're talking about I think with the markets margins prices limits that's all fully at your disposal so you decide that and set a sensible strategy and inform the traders to try either trade yourself or inform the traders to trade according to your strategy mm-hmm. oh, it all makes sense because you do on course Bookmaking does, I guess you're able to sync that up. So if you're on course one day taking bets, you're able to adjust your book and offer different odds online in sync with that. Is that correct? No, we're actually not able to do that yet. It's something we want to build towards. Yeah, something we like to do in the future. But currently, no, the, the on course and the off course are totally separate at the moment. But it's something we'd love to get to. How challenging is it running? You talked about the amount of work involved in it. And obviously, a lot of that with the white label is outsourced. But still, how many hours a week are you putting in, both of you, into this? Lots. Never worked so hard in my life, to be honest. As much as we're loving it, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a lot of work. I suppose really eye-opening to us how little we knew. If we knew as much as we probably needed to know, we might not have done it. So our ignorance was probably a blessing. But yeah, a hell of a lot of work. Hopeful that now with nearly six months into operation that we can really focus on the more relevant stuff to us, which is the bookmaking, this the stuff we love, the stuff we really think we can make a difference. So really want to return our attention to the pricing, to the customer service to, and to servicing the punter rather than being too focused on trademark registrations or payment service provider, commercial deals, you think. But yeah, so we're trying to action that now. Yeah, all the boring admin, all the bits and pieces you have to do. Yeah, which exactly. Yeah. Isn't what you want to do, is it? Yeah, you want to be bookmaking, you want to be taking bets, you want to be building the service rather than the work behind the scenes. What's the feedback been from customers then? Are they telling you that they appreciate the Welsh angle? They, why are they joining Dragon Bet over some of the bigger companies that we all know about? Yeah, I think the Welsh stuff has really resonated. Definitely got a bit of a race course presence, which is helping as well. I think our race pro- course racing product is quite strong. We offer competitive pricing on racing. We'll take a fair bet. So yeah, I think we've got loads of learning to do, loads of improvements to be made as operators. And like I said, the product is still in development. But, but yeah, so far, I'd say a, a lot of positive feedback and yeah, quite excited about the future. Yeah, great. And uh, one question I did have was that you have a casino and also offer esports online. Now, I know some people that don't like that, so bookmakers have casinos, but I imagine it's just a part of the reality of running the costs involved in having a bookmaker is that some people, to, to make it viable, you need to offer a casino side of things. What's your take on, on that? Let's start to make it viable. So, so I'll start with the easier one, right? So eSports, fans and I actually, the platform we're aligned with, who speak about them, they are really impressed with everything they're doing. But with, with regards to the eSports, fans and I have an eSports background, particularly keen on it, having eSports on site. We have a tab there. To be honest, I barely look at it. We take very few bets. I can't remember the last time we took a bet on esports. It just kind of sits there and isn't it relevant to us, to be honest. But the casino side of things. So on the casino, we've made a conscious choice never to market specifically through casino. We're a sportsbook first platform for sure. It's where all of our marketing takes place, where all our attention and concern is. But there is a casino on site. But I would speak to the kind of taboo around casino. Now, obviously, there's prevalence towards problem gambling and behavioral types of play that you need to take, um, take much more regard of when someone's playing the casino. But I don't see an issue with 
someone having a few spins on a roulette wheel, no one complains about the high margin of a cash out project or a bet builder, which is much higher than some of the casino games. Some people enjoy playing casino. We've got to kind of very vigilant and play and behavior and make sure it isn't pointing to problem gambling. But as long as we do that, I don't see any issue with having it there. And because of the way we operate it, it's very low revenue to us relative to the sports book. So, um, so I wouldn't see it as much taboo as some people do, as long as it's managed and marketed responsibly. Thank you for that answer. That's really insightful. Yeah, because people do query about why bookmaker websites have a casino. But yeah, you're quite right. You know, I, I enjoy playing games of blackjack, for example, occasionally. Let's then talk about the reality of being a bookmaker because we talked about the nuts and bolts of running the website, the admin, the work involved, how you manage liabilities, but how about the actual day-to-day challenges that you face as a bookmaker? There are a few on the horizon that are here or waiting on that, the main one being affordability. We're still waiting for the white paper to come out. Some firms have implemented, if you like, ad hoc affordability checks. What's your position in all of this? Is that all done through the white label and their compliance team? Yeah, it's largely done for the white label. I wouldn't be able to speak with any huge amount of authority on anything compliance related. I suppose I'm a kind of brief take on the affordability check. We do have them, right? We have to do them. I just think balance is the key. Not throwing out the baby. Nothing that hasn't been said already, but nothing, not throwing out the baby with the bathwater and um, trying to be sensible with them. Because we're quite well, because we're small, obviously, we can have a more nuanced approach. It's not a one size fits all where we can look at open source information and, and make more balanced and nuanced decisions about individual customers who haven't been relying on automated software, which I know a lot of the big corporates use. So hopefully we can give a uh, more sensible human approach to affordability and all that type of stuff. But I wouldn't want to speak with too much authority around that. We're trying to upscale as quickly as we can in all areas, but somehow we wouldn't be the strongest at the moment. And are those, but are the delays in terms of this gambling act that we've had however many, we've had, I think we've had six gambling ministers of late, maybe more than Chelsea managers, but how <laughs> have those, how have the delays impacted you as a bookmaker and making plans or budgeting, all these kind of things? Again, nothing hasn't been said before, but it's just, you want certainty and clarity, right? Whether it's online bookmaking or selling shoes somewhere, you just want, as a business, some clarity, some certainty, right? You can operate this way. And if we know that, we can make plans and move forward. So that's all we're after is a balanced view and kind of some certainty and clarity to flow from it. Yeah, but I think we're all in the same boat. We all want to know what's going to happen that we can adjust, whether it be a punter, whether it be a bookmaker. We know how we need to, from a punting side, much we can deposit every month and questions like that that we have. I share the concerns entirely. So I still play on Betfair, still bet on the exchanges myself. And I know if I, for instance, enforce like a net deposit, right? I know I'll go through periods, yeah, maybe two months where I might not win anything. And I won't be able to justify my income to them, even though I'm a net winner over 15 to 20 years. So yeah, I fully understand the concerns and just, just want some certainty and clarity, I suppose. Yeah. From my point of view, I was chatting about this with a friend last night and we were both saying we deposit each month into Betfair, even though we might not need that money at that particular point in time. But if you go on a bad run, you don't want to be at a point where you can't bet what you'd like to because you've been restricted by affordability limits and trying to prove sometimes the income, especially if the income comes from non-traditional means. We don't all do nine to five jobs these days for the same company for 40 years. It's a little bit tricky, but that's another topic for another time. So it's interesting to get your take. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about winning punters, though, dealing with them. You'll have a good degree of people listening to this. I hope we either are winning punters or aspiring to be winning punters. <laughs> and given your own experience on this side of the fence, on the punting side, you have a keen eye for angles and edges and what sharp punters might wish to bet on. How do you tackle them as a bookmaker and deal with the balance of helping people get on, but not to the extent that they can have whatever they want, whenever they want, in whatever markets they choose. How do you juggle that? So the first protection is our limits, right? So no one can bet above our limits. So we know we've got that in place. And I guess from now 
operating and been online for a while, the biggest distinction I would say is between a genuine sharp hunter who wants to have the odd each way single, two, three bets a day, whatever it is, or one single a day. There's a huge distinction between that and just arbors or just not even arbors, just people trying to beat the bet fair price consistently. Incredibly much more tolerant of the sharp punter who's going to have a genuine bet that we could potentially learn something from and adjust markets. Maybe we could not quite there at doing that now, but something we'd like to do in the future. Adjust prices around information gathered from a sharp source rather than someone just trying to either fast feed or just beat the bet fair price. So we'd want to be really aggressive with the fast feeders and the others or bet fair price beaters and much less so with the just genuine sharp hunter. Okay, yeah. So if someone's coming to you and they're doing a let's say an each-way value strategy or like maybe arbing, you're going to pick that up quite quickly and then you're not going to welcome that custom. But then if you've got somebody who's taking a position themselves, and let's say they, the top of the market's five to one, you might have a conversation with them perhaps and say, we'll offer you this much at these prices and then a bit of back and forth rather than what we have these days, which is, no, you can have five pence on or whatever it might be from the major firms. You're willing to have engage with those customers. Yeah, I definitely want to engage. If anyone does want to engage, you can reach out to us either. We've got a live chat on the website, probably the fastest way is through social media. But yeah, I definitely want to engage with, like I said, that distinction between nothing against people trying to, to arb or whatever it is. We've done it myself for loads of years, but I think that's part of the standard battle when you're doing that type of thing. You're in that merry ground of account hopping. But but a, a kind of genuine panther who wants to bet on racing or sports, whatever it is, and, and, and take positions because they've done a lot of homework and whatever. That's an entirely different animal. And I think... I think you can meet a compromise there where you can learn something and service that punter and it can be mutually beneficial. How well you can do that at scale is still yet to be worked around, but the kind of where we are at the moment, I think there's a place to service that that sharper, better. But yeah, look, infinitely better than the large corporates do. I'm not saying... And I guess the concern is if you go out and say this, you're going to service the sharp punter and all of a sudden you're just going to have a monster ratio of just sharp punters and no one else if you're the only person doing it. So you've got to be sensible about what you can actually achieve with it. But I'd like to think, and I know we have done already, just give punters a much fairer crack when they're betting sensibly and not, not trying to exploit us with just easy price having. And that's great to hear. It's refreshing because I think sometimes that's what punters want is that conversation to say, okay, don't just let me win five pounds on every single market you offer, especially we record this ahead of Cheltenham. And surely some of these restricted accounts that people have can offer greater liabilities on Cheltenham Racing and having that conversation with, but you just don't have that ability with these big firms, do you? Because they set their rules and there's no flexibility there. It's great because we've done um, been a bigger focus these days at SBC on independent firms. I know you've got yourselves. I think Oslers is another Mac bet. That might be the same as McBucky or similar, again, based up in Scotland. And they're all firms, as far as I'm aware, who are willing to take that. So it's great to see it's almost a development of a different type of bookmaker in response to the challenges or the issues people have with some of the big firms. So I was also going to ask you, you've got best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish racing from half 10, I believe, in the morning. How does that work in from a booking perspective? It's one of those things that major firms offer, but it must be a nightmare from a working out your liabilities perspective. Yeah, I mentioned earlier about kind of ignorance being our, our, our biggest weapon in the early days. Best odds guaranteed was part of that, to be honest. I had no idea how much it would end up costing us. It's really expensive. It massively decreases your margin on racing. But just to agree with what you said, it's a needs must, right? We can't, it's really difficult to not offer it. But yeah, it's expensive, it's there, and I can't see it going anywhere for a while. I think there's a limit though, isn't it? It's 250 per race in terms of, is that the uplift that you get from best odds guaranteed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a 250 race and 1500 quid a day, I think is our limits. But again, if we're 
can have conversations with individual customers, right? But uh, that's the standard limits on site. Yeah, if you are listening to this and you're interested in investing with DragonBet, then you reach out on social media or live chat and have those conversations, which is increasing. It's refreshing to hear and that. So that's from, the, I guess, from the genuine point of side of it. But you probably do have you know, my experience chatting to other bookmakers is that they do also have to contend with people who are trying to take advantage in different ways, whether that's multi-accounting or you know, I think there's people putting different names and adjusting placing bets and then saying it's not them or saying they're banned or whatever it might be. How much of that is a problem dealing with people trying to manipulate and deliberately take advantage of a genuine bookmaking business like yours? Yeah, it happens a lot and you definitely question the goodwill of the public sometimes. Less so from a kind of a sharp betters angle, I'm mostly so from a kind of compliance angle where people try and exploit responsible gaming protections really and try and use them against you and, and try and get a free roll somehow. But again, I wouldn't want to speak to that with too much authority. As much as we witness them and are aware of those cases, of those cases, it goes more directly to compliance and those side of things with the white label. But yeah, that would be the definitely a daily battle, I would say, on that front. Yeah, I talked about that with uh, it was Leaf, who's the head of compliance at Star Sports, and he referenced something similar. So I think people interested in that one go listen to that episode. Is there anything else that I haven't covered in terms of, especially dealing with punters or the online bookmaking? We'll talk about on course in a second. Is there anything else I've missed there, or some of the challenges of running Dragon Bet? I guess I would, well, what I would like being a punter, a star punter, and also bookmaker. The biggest thing I would is. Obviously, there's benefits to being a bookmaker, the stability of it. Like I said, I was so anxious to go away from that hamster wheel of the ups and downs of So, So there's lots of benefits to being a bookmaker, but the complexity of being an operator, so it's an online operator, and for every £100 you win, we're all fighting for whether you're an online operator, a content provider, podcast, we're all effectively fighting for the same pool of money, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the losing punter's money. And when you're, a, if you're an exchange winning punter or if you're trying to bet with bookmakers and win is that real clear just simplicity where you place the bet you collect your winnings obviously you have to do your homework and you may have to have some expenses with staff or whatever it is but the amount of kind of slices that come up the amount going on when you're online and the amount of slices off that hundred pound that you might win for a market yeah really eye-opening when you see what comes off it whether it be payment service provider costs or point of consumption tax or just constant slices into it until you reach that figure at the bottom Benefits of being a bookmaker in lots of ways. That stability, that feeling of building something real and tangible is really nice, but yeah, difficult and and not quite as that straight line of being a punter. You win this, pay your premium charge or your wages and, uh, and away you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there must be a myriad of challenges. And like I say, it's a all-encompassing. You never work quite so hard as you are through Dragon Bet. I think people see, and it's a very nice looking website. I was talking before the call. It looks great and puts across a very positive impression. But obviously, there's a lot of work going behind the scenes to make it look like that. And it's a credit to you and James. You've got that up and running. Let's also talk then about On Course because, like I said, your dad, your father, John, was a prominent On Course bookmaker for many years. You still have an On Course presence. I believe it's James who oversees that. Tell me, though, about how many meetings you attend in an average week or average month and how important it is for you to be On Course still. Yeah, so James was just probably couldn't join, but yeah, James would be much better to speak to this. But obviously, I do attend the race course as much as I can, especially more recently. So I think we've got 17 pitches across the country. I think James were. 200 days last year and James is really passionate about it he absolutely loves operating a race course he loves interacting with customers so yeah looking to continue that and yeah I know James particularly loves it Is that a way of obviously promoting Dragon Bet do you find many people once they bet with you on course then 
uh, more likely to come on an open account with you? Yeah, it's not as easy as we first imagined it would be. Still takes a fair bit of, um, yeah, it's not a really easy acquisition tool, but it definitely helps. We're trying to get the Welsh race courses. So even though we've got pictures of Chaps and Fastas already, getting to more prominent positions, Hereford's, Ludlow's, all those kind of border courses as well. So really trying to expand our portfolio at the Rose Racetracks. And yeah, look, it's good branding and it's an opportunity to engage our customers as well. We really like the idea of being a kind of visible and personal bookmaker. So if you have an issue, you know that James is going to be at Hereford on a Tuesday afternoon to go and speak to him rather than having to go through six layers of customer service. So yeah, like the idea of James being there, accessible, visible, and yeah, can kind of have a conversation with him if you've got an issue or if you've got an idea. That's great to hear. Yeah, and what's it like though in terms of the reality of holding a pitch, paying for a pitch? I guess we've got Cheltenham coming up and we know how busy that's going to be. Well, what about those courses like Hereford or Ludlow? On a Tuesday afternoon, are they getting enough punters in to make it pay? Is it tricky sometimes, some meetings? Yeah, it's really tricky. Again, James will speak to this better than I could, but um, yeah, really tricky for ages. It's been weekends and festivals. It's the only place you can really make your money. Slightly different now with Dragon Bet because you've got an external reason to go. If we can go there and be visible and possibly acquire some online customers, then breaking level isn't so bad. But yeah, the midweek stuff, the, the courses you referenced, is, is really incredibly difficult. Like The old days of Rolls Royces are long gone and, um, and race course bookmakers. And I think they'll all speak to the difficulties on course. Yeah. Are they still expensive? The uh, talking to some other bookmakers and they tell me about the cost sometimes to acquire these pitches can be quite difficult, especially the pitches that you want that could give you the prominence that you require. You can buy a £100 pitch at Chepstow and get on the last line, but you won't make any money, right? You won't be able to justify the expenses or take enough bets to, to pay your staff and pay for the betting badge that day. But the top pitches are still really expensive. We actually sold our Cheltenham pitch to, to fund Dragon Bet or part fund Dragon Bet. But those top pitches at Ascot's, Cheltenham's, Yorks, they're worth in the hundreds of thousands of pounds. And so the good pitches are still really good. It's that stuff down the bottom end and in the middle that's just really losing value quickly. And are you going to be, you say you mentioned you're looking to buy more. Are you looking to buy that in Wales or into England or get back into Cheltenham <laughs> eventually? Yeah, would you like to get back into Cheltenham in the next couple of years, hopefully it's James, I know I'm really misses not being there the last couple of years. Yeah, really looking to expand Racecourse portfolio in the kind of relevant pitches to us at the moment. So that'll be anything around Wales, Bath, Hereford, Chepstow, Foslas, Bangor, obviously. So I'm really looking to expand our portfolio around there. And yeah, in time, just keep growing is the idea. But for the minute, to focus on the stuff that's more relevant to the brand. Uh, and have you noticed, there has been quite a lot of story, stories about affordability and black market, but have you noticed more people coming to the betting room due to the lack of those affordability checks and the ability to actually bet in cash and deal directly with bookmakers? I know there was a story I think yesterday in the Racing Post about the increase. Have you actually noticed that yourselves There's, or people referencing that when they're betting with you on course? Yes. So our experience is that slippage has gone down. So it's taken less slips, but the individual stake value has gone up. First of all, everyone, and there was a boom after COVID as well, as people returned to the race course, that's died off. But first of all, people were pointing towards affordability checks being the reason. We're less certain about that. It's been sharp syndicates seem to have re-emerged on the race course trying to get their money on. So taking more money, but are you taking any better money? It's undoubtedly had a bit more excitement to the ring. All of a sudden, there's some sharp faces with big carry bags of money walking around. How valuable that money is, is yet to be seen, I would say. So our report would be the number of slips has gone down, average stake has gone up to compensate, but has that average stake, is that average stake going up actually a good thing? I wouldn't be so certain. No, I imagine not. I think the industry is built on lots of small staking losers rather than... Well, it used to be some of the cause the problem is the big firms encouraging people to lose more than they can afford. But reality is that often the industry needs to have a large proportion of people betting in 10 to 20 pounds 
who and maybe don't aren't sharp and doing it as a hobby. So that's interesting, yeah, because you haven't necessarily seen people saying I'm betting here because I can't get on online. Yeah, no, we haven't had those specific reports ourselves, but you can see definitely see that the amount of money has gone up. Not drastically, but it has gone up. But no, I haven't had any reports of I'm here because of affordability checks. Well, well, thank you so much, um, David. It's been really insightful. And Keith, what are the plans for Dragon Bet moving forward? Is it to establish the website and the brand? Will we see bookmaker shops with your Dragon Bet logo on it anytime soon? Yeah, that might be a way off. Thanks for Dragon Bet. We need to focus on our core customer group, which is going to be way off for the time being. And then if we can expand that over to Bridge into England, into England and Scotland, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we're looking to focus on our core customer base and then cross over the bridge, but build out that race course portfolio and really establish ourselves as here to stay, I suppose. And um, yeah, who knows, maybe shops delivered online. Thank you so much, David, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to ask you the questions that I've always wanted to ask bookmakers, you know, about the reality of running a bookmaking firm, dealing with winning punters, affordability checks, all that kind of stuff. I think you'll have a degree of people listening today, or hopefully the majority will be looking for Dragon Bet or wishing you well because you speak with it. Refreshing honesty that we don't seem to get with the major firms. And I certainly will be keeping an eye on Dragon Bet and how you uh, build up moving forward and wish you all the best of it. But finally, to wrap up, I do want to just, people listening, why should they and how can they go and sign up for a Dragon Bet account? Go and sell your services to them and encourage them to sign up. First of all, thanks to you, Pete. Really appreciate you having us on. And uh, yeah, I think you're doing an amazing thing with Smart Betting Club. So I'll make it continue. But yeah, speaking to Dragon Bet, you can access this either simple Google search, Dragon Bet, or type in dragonbet.co.uk. If you want to interact with us personally, um, social media is probably the easiest. And we're available at Dragon Bet Wales across all the major platforms, so Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. There you go. Great. Well, I'll slide in the links to Dragon Bet and your various social media platforms how to sign up in the show notes so if people want to find out more go and check that out and for now thank you ever so much for coming on wish you the best during Cheltenham and throughout 2023 and I look forward to seeing how Dragon Bet builds over the years yeah thanks so much Pete really appreciate it thanks for listening to this very latest Smart Betting Club podcast if you enjoyed it and are keen to find out more on how the SBC service can help you and your betting you can save 5% on the cost of membership simply by using the coupon code PODCAST Visit smartbettingclub.com, hit subscribe and enter the coupon code PODCAST to save 5%.